You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to text the show, you can send a text message to 865-658-5824. Again, that's 865-658-5824. We have got a jam-packed show for you guys today, so we're going to jump right in. Um, I thought it would be a good time, a good opportunity. I know a lot of people are still Honestly, they're just talking in circles. Um, if I'm 100%, you know, real about it, this whole Aaron Rodgers trade thing, and and we've gotten several messages which I've responded to, um, but everyone just seems to be like, it's just nobody's getting anywhere, right? And until the trade's done, we're kind of just you know stuck. And, and essentially, what you've got is the people that don't like Aaron Rodgers. They're talking about how. The Packers have played this perfect. The people who do like Aaron Rodgers are talking about how stupid Brian Gutekunst is, and there's like hardly any common ground. There's been several people that's messaged me, but for the most part, that's the large majority of the folks that are talking about it, and it's kind of pointless to just keep keep talking in circles about this. So we're going to move on to something else, and that's the future of the Packers. And I'm really, really excited to see what Jordan Love can be. Um, I know several other people are as well. We've had some uh, some really, really good conversations on Twitter about it. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that Jordan Love could potentially be, um, you know, a great starting quarterback. He could also be, you know, someone who – is just kind of mediocre and they move on from him. It's sounding to me like they're probably going to pick up the fifth-year option, which tells me they want to at least see, you know, one full year this year and then give him a chance to transition into next year and uh, and possibly, you know, building a little bit better roster around him. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. I really don't. Um, you guys know, though, I was hoping, not really hoping, but I kind of felt like the best-case scenario would be that the Packers knew – that he was going to be the quarterback of the future, and we go ahead and extend him. And the reason being is it gives you a lot of cap relief. 
right? Um, you guys know that Aaron Rodgers' cap hit number next year is going to go down regardless of what happens. You know, the only scenario where um, it would go up is if Aaron Rodgers returned and played for the Packers. I think we would all agree that's not going to happen. So he's either going to be traded or retire or maybe outright cut, you know, regardless that cap number is going to come down next year, whether we absorb the majority of the cap hit this year um, or, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, a little bit gets pushed out until next year. I'm still hearing people. I try to stay out of the conversation because it's obvious they don't know what they're talking about, but people are still, you know, making comments. Uh, well, if we get them to eat part of the cap and do this. And it's like, bro, two weeks ago, you were saying none of the cap could be moved, which is just, it's baffling because it, it just depends on the mood of the person and which side they're going to argue and lean on. One second they pretend like the contract can't be adjusted at all. The cap, the cap cap number can't be maneuvered at all. This is set in stone. This is what the Packers are going to pay. <clears throat> and then in other cases, it's, oh, well, if we get them to take a little bit of the portion on, I'm like, you just got through saying this thing couldn't be moved. You've said it for the last three years that the Packers are screwed over this contract. But now we're starting to see how it's all going to fall into place. But the point I was trying to make is when you pick up Jordan Love's fifth-year option, it's going to be roughly $20 million if I if I calculated correctly. Next year, it's going to be fully guaranteed, and that money cannot be maneuvered. That means it's going to be a $20 million cap hit on the 2024 cap, right? So you can't move that at all. If they were to have extended him, and who knows, it may still happen. I have heard no rumors of that whatsoever, and typically that stuff leaks out that, hey, they're in talks for the contract extension. Of course, if they did leak it out, then – the media would be all over that they're idiots for letting a four-time MVP go, and now they're just going to extend a guy and, and give him the checkbook, which that wouldn't be the case because if you were going to extend him, you're you're throwing more guaranteed money than $20 million at him, but you're doing it over a longer period of time. Therefore, you can maneuver the cap and, and play the cash-over-cap game. And it's amazing that pe people still don't understand what cash-over-cap means, and I, I'm not talking to you guys. Listen, I'm just talking about the people who pretend like they're just absolute es experts in salary cap and then – when you get right down to the nitty gritty and talking about cash over cap, they don't understand what that means that a player in some cases would be willing to even take less money overall to get more cash in their hand right now, because you can spread that out over the duration of the contract, including voidable years. But what I wanted to get into is let's talk Jordan love. Let's kind of deep dive into Jordan love a little bit. Okay. Now we're not going to talk about, every little aspect of his game. We're not going to talk about all the shortcomings with that the, the Jordan Love haters talk about. We're not going to talk about him, you know, thriving in a preseason game like the Jordan Love lovers, you know, talk about. We're just going to kind of hit on a, a very broad aspect of Jordan Love. And I thought no better place to start than his, uh, his personal quarterback coach. If you guys don't know, that's Steve Calhoun. And I'm going to share my screen here in audio. You may hear my audio cut out a little bit. Just bear with me. But I want you – it's more important for you to hear what Steve Calhoun says. And we're going to kind of break down what he says here and talk in a little bit more detailed manner of, uh, of quarterback coaching, the quarterback position. And really, this is our first glimpse into Jordan Love through the man who is coaching Jordan Love in the off-seasons. Okay, when Jordan goes back to California, he is working with – um, Steve Calhoun, who is a part of Armed and Dangerous QBs. You can follow him on Twitter at Armed and Dangerous QBs. But this video is provided by Cameron Wolf, who does a lot of work with NFL Network. Uh, it actually came from NFL Total Access. And uh, Armed and Dangerous quarterback 
Steve Calhoun retweeted it, but it's basically an interview with Steve Calhoun. So let's uh, let's just go to the tape here and see what he has to say, and then we'll kind of recap some of the stuff he talked about and move into our next segment. But here we go. What a interesting and important offseason for Jordan Love, and I am happy to be joined here today with Steve Calhoun, private quarterback and receivers coach, and one of your most important quarterbacks is Jordan Love. And you've worked with him since his freshman year of high school. Obviously, this offseason, very public trade situation with Aaron Rodgers, and it makes it seem like, it's not official yet, but it seems like this will be Jordan Love's team in Green Bay. And so, Steve, let's jump right into it. What have your conversations and workouts been like with love heading into this offseason where appears to be love season in Green Bay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, our conversations uh, never really changed from from year one to, you know, him just finishing year three. You know, we just talk about the stuff he needs to do to prepare to be the best quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, whether his number's called or he has to be, you know, sit behind another, you know, sit behind Aaron for another year or possibly. But, you know, definitely, I mean, it's not like he says, oh, my God, you know, I might have the opportunity to be the guy now. So now my focus is going to go up. Or I'm about to start working out harder. It's just always the same. You know, we're preparing every day to become the best Jordan Love that he could possibly be and work on his fundamentals and his, and his throwing mechanics and, and, and really understand the playbook as well as, you know, Coach LaFleur. And Steve, we see some of these workouts with Jordan right here. Um, you know, I know you've been working out with him for the last two weeks in Orange County. Can you give us insight on what you want to see with Jordan in some of these workouts? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, just him to continue to develop as a passer. Um, the biggest thing for me is, you know, I'm coaching every small detail from where his his left foot plants and where his, you know, his his arm is coming through on the slot. You know, just coaching all those details and see if he can make the correction without me saying it. Because I, I won't, you know, I won't be in Green Bay with him. So just by the way the ball comes out or the, the, the flight of the ball is, he'll understand exactly what he needs to do to make those adjustments to be a, a, a really accurate passer. So it's just those details. Absolutely. And you mentioned mm -hmm. the left foot kind of thing that you're working on with him mm -hmm. with that. I know we've talked and you mentioned Matt LaFleur has given Jordan notes over the last two years. Can you give us insight on maybe how Matt LaFleur's tips for Jordan play into how you train him in the offseason? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's that's it's coming from the head coach. So if he thinks if, if Coach LaFleur thinks it's important, of course, you know, as he passes the information on to Jordan and Jordan passes it on to me, I mean, that's going to uh, take that's going to be the top of my workout because I have a scheduled workout of what I want to do with Jordan, you know, every time we get together. But, you know, what Coach LaFleur asked, is asking Jordan to do, that definitely goes to the top. You know, so just talking about, you know, how he wants his uh, left foot to be flat on the ground as he's coming through, you know, throwing the football because that would create more balance and balance creates more accuracy. So, you know, it's just little tips like that. You know that coastal floor is giving Jordan and he's passing along to me um, and I definitely prioritize him and put him at the top of the list of Jordan's workouts. And Steve, there's a lot of Packers fans who are excited about the opportunity to see Jordan Love. I know some of the clips we showed show him throwing to Romeo Dubes. Can you give us insight? I know you're working out with him today. Maybe what today's workout would look like for Jordan Love for Packers fans wanting to know. Yeah, well, you know, with Romeo, you know, I've I've actually been training since college. So, you know, he's very familiar with myself and my program and also with Jordan. Um, you know, I mean, we're just really kind of just starting at the basics, you know, especially with Romeo. You know, he's not in the full running. He's really just been hitting hard in the weight room, getting his body prepared for the NFL. 
But yeah, we just want to work at the top of the route, you know, whether it's some out routes like you see right there or some curls or some dig routes. You know, we just want to work at the top and just kind of build our way up to running a full route and just start to get into their route tree and their playbook. So I'm sure there's going to be uh, more guys coming out here to California, you know, Christian Watkins and uh, also Aaron Jones. I know that uh, Jordan had mentioned to me that they're planning on coming out just to start to get that timing, you know, but, but, you know, with these clips you see here, you just want to start to build up. We don't want to go, you know, from zero to a hundred. We just want to start, you know, real slow and you know, work the top of the routes. Um, get you know, get Jordan's footwork to time up with with Romeo's uh, top of the route deal, and then we'll start to put it all together here in the next few weeks. Stephen, you mentioned that incoming work with Aaron Jones. I spent some time with him on GMFB, and he had great things to say about Jordan Love and his readiness when he ends up being the guy for the Packers. But I want to transition. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So that again, that came from Cameron Wolf on Twitter. It's free to uh, watch there. Uh, definitely don't want to get accused again by anyone saying that I'm trying to monetize off of someone else's. <laughs> Still amazing to me. Oh, boy. But let's let's talk about what they what they covered here. OK, so Steve Calhoun, obviously Jordan Love's personal coach, right? His private coach. What, what he was hitting on some of the things was how he was he's been preparing to become the starting quarterback. You know, it's not like like. You know, Steve Calhoun said it's not like uh, Jordan was just sitting there and was like, um, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, crap, Aaron's really leaving. Now I got to get ready to be the quarterback. He's been preparing to be the starting quarterback this entire time. Now, you guys know I've talked in the past about how backup quarterbacks have a role to play for the starting quarterback, and it's why some starting quarterbacks get upset when they draft their their replacement because they, they're having to lean on the guy who's essentially taking their job to provide them with additional help, additional scouting information, uh, little things that that the coaches may not have time to relay to the starting quarterback. It's got to be a partnership. I mean, this is it's a true team effort. And I think that both Aaron and Jordan obviously have done a good job with that, with Aaron winning two MVPs since Jordan came. If I remember correctly, it's been two – yeah, Jordan was there for both of those MVPs. Guys, he got to see that firsthand. Not only did he get to see it firsthand – but he also got to work hand in hand with Aaron, right? And then you go, okay, well, that takes practice time away from him. It does, but you guys remember Aaron hasn't been attending the uh, all of the offseason activity, um, you know, the last couple of years, which means Jordan Love has been getting those first team reps. He's been working with people like Aaron Jones, uh, Christian Watson last uh, last summer, uh, you know, uh, Romeo Dobbs last summer, even you know Alan Lazard, who obviously isn't here anymore. One's Josiah Aguara. You guys know when. Jordan Love came in and played against the Lions. He hit this that that short, quick pass. Again, nothing great. The Jordan Love lovers will literally look at that and go, oh, look, he's great. Like, bro, he threw like a, what was it, a five-yard slant or a curl route. Josiah DeGuar broke a tackle and took it to the house. Like, stop pretending like that's a, you know, uh, a Peyton Manning throw or a Tom Brady throw or a Patrick Mahomes throw or an Aaron Rodgers throw. Like, you know, you've got to kind of put things into context. But, again, playing within the system and accuracy. Right, being smart with the football, controlling turnover differential, and being accurate with the football. You notice one thing that Steve Calhoun didn't say right there? He didn't say he's trying to hit the ceiling of an indoor facility, right? A la Anthony Richardson. Or we're not working on him to sprint left and throw back across his body 50, 60 yards down the field to show off his arm like Malik Willis, right? That's why it's so important not to get caught up in that stuff when it comes combine time. Everybody gets caught up in the measurables, and now everybody's trying to create these formulas. Of, well, if you actually take vertical and you combine it with the three-cone shuttle and leave everything else out, I think that's the hidden formula to the perfect quarterback or the perfect player. It's crazy. It's like 
in no way, shape, or form is a coach going to want a quarterback to be running left, a right-handed quarterback, then have to turn and throw across his body 30, 40, heck, even 15 yards across his body, much less 40 or 50 yards down the field, right? So why are you even focusing on that? It's anything you can do to make yourself stand out from everyone else that you're competing with, and in this case, the NFL draft. That's why they got those guys doing that. They want, they want, they want scouts to go, oh, look at that trait. Look at that trait, right? Show me when Tom Brady has done that. He hasn't. Now, you could say Aaron Rodgers has done it, absolutely, when the play breaks down. But there's not a coach in the league that's going into practice going, okay, yeah, well, this hopefully this works, but if the play breaks down, let's lean on the quarterback to be able to make a miraculous throw when we know 60, 70, 80% of the time that ball's going to get picked off because it won't have the velocity. And nine times out of ten, their, their eyes are not down the center of the defense. Therefore, they're not even seeing a defender come from another direction and pick the ball off. And, again, what's the top priority? Accuracy and turnover differential. Those are the things. You know, I talk about the four traits I find in the quarterback. I'm not going to hit on it here, but it has nothing to do with arm strength. Anyone who makes it to the NFL has the arm strength to play in the NFL. Now, can all of them whiz a pass into double coverage and have a ball slightly tipped and still caught for a touchdown like Aaron Rodgers did or like like Ford did back in the day, right, or Dan Marino or John Elway? No, not everybody can do that. But, again, you're not drawing up offensive schemes as a coaching staff going, yep, right here. Put 110% of your arm strength on this ball so we can scrape by by an inch to get into that window. No, you want to take what the defense gives you, be smart, protect the football, right? So he's uh, he's already begun preparing to be a starting quarterback, right? Um, that's exciting to me. Now, another thing is he talked about understanding Coach LaFleur. That's absolutely huge. I love that he said Coach LaFleur gave him notes, right? And uh, that yeah, it's just you you being on the same page with the coach is is so, so, so important. You know, when we talk about tiers of importance in, in positions, and we're going to answer a, a Twitter message from Andy here in a minute as we get ready to wrap up the show uh, a little later, you've heard me talk about top tier, you know, tier one positions, tier two positions, right? The top priorities of an NFL program, an NFL team, right, in my opinion, is head coach and quarterback. Case closed. Those are the two top priorities. They are above everything else in the entire organization. Okay, not meaning they're more important, but if you have a great head coach and a great starting quarterback, you're going to have a great chance to win in this league. You can have a great head coach and an average quarterback, and it's going to be very, very, very difficult to win consistently. You can have a average coach and a great quarterback, and it's going to be very, very, very difficult to win those championships consistently, right? Why did the Packers win in 2010? In my opinion, they had a great head coach. They had a great quarterback. Now, over the years, what happens? The league is cyclical. You know, when McCarthy came in and Aaron Rodgers took over as quarterback, it was the perfect storm. Nobody was expecting Aaron to do what he did, right? And what did it allow them to do? It allowed them to put pieces around Aaron. He had a great receiving core. At the time, I, you know, I think I had mentioned when he took over in 08, his receivers were Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, James Jones. I think they still had Jermichael Finley at tight end, although he did get hurt the year they won the Super Bowl. But you had these these great talents around you. You had a great offensive line for the most part. Um, 
on defense, look at the pieces you had. You have B.J. Raji anchoring the center or anchoring at nose tackle, right, which in my opinion is now a tier one position on defense. We'll talk about that in a second when we answer Andy's question. You had A.J. Hawk, the all-time leading tackler in Green Bay Packer history, playing middle linebacker. You had Nick Collins patrolling deep at free safety. You had the Dom Capers cover three – or I'm sorry, uh, uh, zone blitz scheme, right, which is typically a cover three and some, some shell two. But who did you have playing that slot? playing that that star position, that nickel position that we talked about. It's not necessarily nickel, but playing the slot corner position, Charles Woodson, Hall of Famer. You had all these pieces around Aaron Rodgers. It was a perfect storm. But the two most important components, in my opinion, in 2010, was Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. If you have Mike McCarthy and Matt Flynn, you're not winning the Super Bowl. I think we would all agree. If you had Aaron Rodgers and uh, – I don't want to disrespect anybody, but, you know, Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland as your head coach, probably not winning that Super Bowl. It was the perfect storm, and that's what you're always trying to duplicate. But the other thing you mentioned is, you know, Steve Calhoun won't be in Green Bay with Jordan Love. You're probably getting two reactions to that. Some people are going, well, why not? I thought he was Jordan Love's personal coach. I love the fact that Steve Calhoun works with him in the offseason, and then he goes, all right, man, the coach is no more than me. You go there, take care of business there, and I'll see you in the offseason. I'm sure they talk on a consistent basis. Maybe Steve Calhoun flies up and, and helps Jordan, but he's working with other quarterbacks too. But I love that, that you can tell that they're working hand-in-hand hand with the coaching staff. There's no ego there. There's no personal coach. Like one of the things that got brought up this offseason, and I love dabbling into other teams because if you just stay focused on the Packers, I know we like to bash national media for, for not being able to um, – pronounce names right, or they don't really know what's going on with the Packers. They're trying to cover 32 teams. I get all that. It gets so frustrating. I'm right there with you. But at the same time, if you don't take a second, if somebody asked you about someone else's roster, I guarantee you're going to screw their name up. I am guarantee you can't explain what scheme they're running, right? So it's important to keep that peripheral vision to where you can look around the league not just focus on the Packers and go, okay, what are the trends? What's going on here? You know, one of the things I was going to mention is, uh, is Russell Wilson. He had Team 3, right? You guys remember? Team three up in Seattle became an issue with Pete Carroll. Why? Because they were just focused on team three, and they didn't really care about what the coaching staff was doing. Well, what happens? He goes to Denver. He takes team three with him. The head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, gets fired. They bring in and pay a ton of money, right, for the new the new coach, um, Sean Payton, right? He comes in to take over the Denver Broncos, and what happens? Immediately, he made a comment that, no, we, we do, we're not doing things like that, meaning, you know, Russell Wilson kind of doing his own thing on the side. Now, when you're here in the facility, when you're here working, I don't care what you do in the offseason, but we're going to give you a weight you got to show up to camp with, and you're going to come in with a work ethic, and you're going to shut up and do what we say. We don't care what your personal guru coaches say. Like, it's very, very important to have that. And you can tell that Steve Calhoun isn't making that same mistake that Team 3 does uh, with Russell Wilson. It sounds like Russell Wilson got his ego checked, and rightfully so, when you've seen the way he performed last year. Now, again, I think a lot of that comes to scheme, but a lot of it is Russell Wilson, too. Michael Lombardi said it two years ago. He's like, you can see the, the decline coming from Russell Wilson because he, he's not running effective anymore. It's not that he can't. It's like he won't. 
It's like he just now wants to become this pure pocket passer, and that's not what made Russell Wilson special. If he was a pure pocket passer, he would have went early in the first round rather than whatever he went in the third round or whenever it was when he was drafted. Um, so he won't be in Green Bay, but he uh, it says uh, he's making sure that he knows how to correct mistakes as they show up. And I love what he said that when Matt LaFleur gives a note to Jordan Love, Right, it goes to the top of the list for Steve Calhoun. He said, "We got a list of things we're working on with Jordan Love all offseason long." Okay, and then when when Jordan comes to me and says, "Hey, Coach said, I, here's the notes from Coach," and I love that that they do this. It's not it's not abnormal that you know, oh, just the Packers do this. Everybody across the league does this. That you, you the exit interviews, you send players home with, "Hey, work on this, 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 and this." These are the notes that we have, our personal position coaches, our self-scouting department. These are the things that we notice you need to get better at. He takes those to Steve Calhoun. Steve Calhoun doesn't just crinkle them up like Team 3 would, throw them in the trash and go, no, we're working on something else. He said it goes right to the top of the list. You're talking about a unified effort for Jordan Love to become a great starting quarterback, and it's the perfect foundation to accomplish that in my opinion. I'm really, really excited about it. So um, one of the things he talked about was making sure that the lead foot lands flat. And I'm going to, I'm going to give a little jargon here. We're going to go, we're going to geek out a little bit, right? Nerd out a little bit on quarterback talk. And what he's talking about is that lead foot hitting flat. Jordan Love dropping back to pass, right? Imagine you're in a pocket. Jordan Love drops, finishes his drop. When he steps forward to make the pass, that lead foot, you're kind of pointing in the direction, right? As you step up and you deliver the ball, Jordan had a tendency in the pass to land on his toe when he threw the ball, right? Well, if you do it, if you go through a throwing motion, stand up in your living room, don't do it in your car if you're driving, wherever you're at right now, if you can, stand up, pretend like you're throwing that pass as you step up. Try to try to land on your toe and keep your balance as you threw a full throwing motion. It's not going to happen, right? So he picked up on that. LaFleur picked up on that as well, and it's, hey, look, we need that front, flip, front foot landing flat. A flat lead foot leads to balance. Balance leads to accuracy period, case close. It's the same way with pitching. Like, I always try to draw a parallel between baseball because that's the sport that I played the most. It was the sport that took me away from football. It just so happened I was pretty good at baseball, so that's what I played. And we had a a coach that was one of the old school heads that, look, you don't play two sports, you pick one. And uh, I was better at baseball, so I picked baseball. Um, but it's the same thing with pitching. You know, we were always taught land on the ball of your foot, Right. Make sure your foot lands as flat as possible. Why? You're going to be more accurate. If you land on your toe, you're going to be off balance. Therefore, you'll probably over deliver. And the ball will, ball will either be, you know, uh, if you're a righty, it'll be outside to a right handed hitter or low, right? And if you land on your heel, the ball is going to be high. It just changes the trajectory of your pitch. Very, very similar with football. So, um, I love that they're working on those things. That just shows you the fine details, right? And I love – I heard on another interview, I believe it might have been with Ryan Wood or or Tyler Dunn, I can't remember. They interviewed Steve Calhoun late, uh, late last year. You can find it, I'm sure, on their uh, podcast. Search both of those podcasts for Steve Calhoun. I guarantee you'll find it. And if you do and you have a question or you find something like, hey, I bet Clayton didn't catch this, shoot it over to me. I'd love to hear it. But they were just kind of talking about the, the same similar things. And he said he would check – one of the things that he had to kind of work through, and it, it's funny, it's similar with Favre to Rodgers. You know, 
when you've seen the way Favre played, a lot of people were like, man, I hope Rodgers doesn't try to try to pick up on those bad habits that Favre did because Rodgers, there's no way he'll have the arm strength that Favre did. And then you look, and I think some people would would probably say that Aaron might have had more arm strength than Favre with both of them in their prime and their peak. It's definitely close. It's definitely within the conversation. But you don't want him doing the things that, you know, bad habits that Favre had, right? And Steve Calhoun on that podcast talked about he would catch Jordan Love making off-balance throws and stuff. And he's like, hey, look, you can't do that. Don't do that. Focus on the front foot being flat. Focus on having a good center mass. Focus on all of the me- mechanics we talked about. And he he literally said, we're not 12. 12's an alien. That's what Steve Calhoun said. We're not 12. 12 is an alien. We got to remember that, okay? 12 can get away with that. We can't. And I love that he's laying that foundation because, guys, we may look up in a couple of years and go, Jordan Love's got the arm strength similar to Aaron Rodgers, similar to Brett Favre. And I understand the, the big hot topic right now, hot button topic is, oh, crap, you know, LaFleur hates love because he said curb enthusiasm, right? Or some are saying, no, he knows how good love is. You can hear it in his voice. I don't pretend to be a psychic, right? I think two, three years from now, we'll know if love is still in Green Bay, and hopefully he will be because having another homegrown quarterback with the personal story that Jordan Love has, the way his teammates love him, everything about it, man, if we can make this work and and mold him into a good to great quarterback, I mean – if we can mold him into a top five quarterback, oh my God, how awesome would that be? Right. Um, I think top 10 is way more realistic, but in this first year, you're probably looking in that top 15 range would be a good thing. All right. Look, if he finishes in the top 15, all right, we've got something to work with here. Right. Um, but again, I don't want to get into the, you know, curbing the enthusiasm talk because that, that got hot real quick too in the in, in that kitchen but um another thing you said is you know that i caught on i didn't know this steve calhoun has actually been training romeo dobbs since college and i know a lot of people probably heard cameron wolf screw up romeo dobbs name called him dubs right and it's oh what an idiot guys they cover a lot of teams let's give people grace here i screw names up all the time like you know any anybody especially it drives me crazy with the podcasters because they they try to act like they're perfect I'm like, bro, I've listened to enough of your takes to know that you screw it up too. But why can't we – why is it always got to be about making fun of people for making mistakes? I just don't understand that. But, again, heck, you, you even heard Steve Calhoun say, you know, I think he called Christian Watson Christian Watkins, right? Ooh, what an idiot. No, man, he's you know how many people he's working with? So, I, I don't know. Anyway, Steve Calhoun, he's been training with Romeo – he's been training Romeo Dobbs since college. I didn't know that. That's exciting. So, that means everything that they work on in the offseason – the fine details that that Steve Calhoun really likes to key in on. He's been working on those same details with Jordan Love. And if it was truly in college, it was before we even knew these guys were going to be teammates. To me, that's another aspect that's really, really, really important. Now, I haven't seen anything about Romeo Dobbs working off, working out in the offseason uh, with, with uh, Jordan yet. Um, now, one thing Steve Calhoun mentioned is he's been in the weight room. He hasn't been running yet. So it sounds like Romeo Dobbs is putting on some weight. How cool would it be to see him come back a little more yoked up? Right, a little more ready to take that punishment that that you absorb there at the NFL level. Because I think he did show flashes. I don't think he's quite as good as some people think he is, but I think you've seen enough potential there to go, hey, look, man, that back shoulder throw, I believe it was against Philly, if I remember right, that Jordan threw to Romeo Dobbs. I mean, Romeo Dobbs contested catches sometimes. It's amazing. It seems like he catches the ball better when people are on him rather than, you know, running open or having a passing window. Um, but he talked about one of the things he talked about, and I wanted to kind of geek out over it here a little bit, because, again, you may know this. And if you do, guys, you know, I'm not trying to bore you with it. I'm also not trying to talk down to people that don't know. 
there's been so many times over the years that I've been listening to a podcast and I hear a, a term and I'm like, what's that mean? And they just move on like, oh, well, they should know that. And it's like, I want this podcast to be, if, if I catch something that I didn't know, I want to study it and then share it with you guys. It just so happened I did know this, but when he was talking about this, I'm like, I wonder if some listeners don't know exactly what he's talking about. So we'll take a few minutes and mention it. And that's when he was talking about they're working on the top of the route. We're working at the top. We're working at the top, right? And what he means is the top of the route. Okay, so I want to explain to you the three aspects of a passing route. OK, so you basically got the vertical stem, right? You've got the stem that leads up to that's that's part one. And then you've got the cut slash break. Some people call it a cut. Some people call it a break. Some people call it the mesh point. I think that's silly, but I'm not here to judge people and say, hey, my you know, my language is correct and theirs isn't. You could go talk to multiple coaching staffs and get different. Some people don't even like to, to, to refer to the route tree as numbers. They like to call them out, and then they've got code names for them. It's just it, it can get really, really difficult if you allow it to. So I want to keep things as simple as possible to understand what he's talking about working at the top of the route. But you've got the vertical stem. Then you've got the break slash cut, right? And then you've got the passing window, catching window, catch point, however you want to refer to it. Okay, so there's three aspects. So let me give you an example. Let's go with the five route. The five route is an out route. Okay, it's basically, you know, some people can run it at different levels depending on the uh, the way the uh, the defense is positioned. You know, if they're playing off, they may turn an out route into a seven yard and out. Right. If they're playing up bump bump and run, and then they they try to play mirror match press man, they're showing inside technique. They may go to a ten yard out route. Right. Uh, that's where it comes into Aaron Rodgers and the hand signals, the fine details that everybody just thought was so silly, and he's just being a jerk those little bitty advantages is what made him and Devontae Adams win back-to-back MVPs together right and when you don't have those little nuances together you don't know where the person's going to be you have to dummy it down therefore if you're dumbing it down to the simplest way to run a route then you darn sure know that a great veteran DB knows you're doing that as well okay because they've watched tape all week they're getting a paycheck too so let's go with the out route the five route so let's assume it's a 10-yard out route Okay, you're going to run, you're going to sprint. You know, let's say it's the X receiver. He's going to sprint 10 yards down the field. That aspect of the route is called the vertical stem. Okay, the vertical part of the stem. It's the, it's, that is the stem of the route is the vertical aspect. So the 10 yards is the stem. Then you've got the cut slash break. Okay, that's where he's going to drive down, chop him at the 10 yard mark and cut directly outside towards the sideline. Okay. And then as the ball is delivered, you've got a catch window. You've got the catch point. Those are the three aspects. You know, another one is a, let's call it a corner route, right? A number seven route, a seven route corner route. The old days they used to call it a flag because it kind of looks like a flag waving in the wind. Right. So you've got the flag route, 10 yards sprint, right? That's your stem. That's the vertical port. That's the stem. Then you're going to cut on an angle to the sideline rather than 90 degrees or 45, whatever the angle is, you're going to kind of slant out towards the sideline. Okay. That when you chop them down and you make that break on the corner to the sideline, that's your cut slash break point. And then of course you've got the catch point where the ball is delivered, the passing window, if you will. Okay. All right. And then let's do another one. There's one more here. Let's go with the, uh, with the post route. Okay. The post route is obviously it's, it's basically a mirrored look to the corner route or the seven route. And it's going to be a 10-yard sprint. That is the stem, the break point. And then they're going to cut almost like a deep slant, but it's a post down the seam typically toward the middle of the field. Okay. Then you've got your catch point, your catch window. 
All right. So I just want to explain that because when he talks about working at the top of the route, what he's what he's having them focus on is the top of that stem is what he's talking about. So if they're working on a hook, right, he doesn't have them run the stem. He's going to have them chop real quick and then run the hook, run the curl, run the out. Why you do that? You're you're reducing the chance of injury, you're reducing the fatigue that's involved because this aspect of the game, you're not focusing on conditioning. You're focusing on timing. You're focusing on a quarterback understanding when a player is going to break, how he's going to break, and how much lead he's got to put on the ball to find that catching window, that third aspect of the pass route. And you've seen Aaron Jones doing it, right? You've seen the videos here recently of Jordan Love and Aaron Jones. That's what they were doing. You notice he wasn't running a full route. Some people were like, I don't understand. It don't even make any sense. You run around. You. That's not what they're focusing on. They're focusing on the timing, right? And everything else is mechanical. Every or not mechanical, but it's it's natural. It's just fluid. It's something you you do it over and over and over again. Well, if you isolate the key part of that that exercise of that aspect of the game, then you're going to perfect that. That's how you. That's how you get good. You're, you're essentially what you're doing right now is you're zooming in focus on the timing and the footwork at the top of the stem. Again, remember what the stem is, the vert vertical aspect when you get to the break, okay? You're, you're really zooming in and focusing on that, the timing and the footwork of the stem. You know, a, a good example, and to draw a parallel, and I always do this because baseball is a sport I, pl I played, you know, baseball soft toss drills. The same people that look at what they were doing, removing the stem and just focusing on the, the timing of the break and the route, would look at us doing soft toss drills in baseball practice, and they go, that's silly. That ain't going to help you hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. And what a soft toss drill is, <clears throat> just you, you get a, uh, you know, a short net, right? You've got a hitter, and you've got a teammate that's going to be on one knee in front of them, and you're simply just tossing the ball out from the side, not coming from the pitcher, but from the side, and they're just tossing it up in the wheelhouse, and you're hitting it into the net. And you're doing it with little bitty foam balls, too. It's not even a real baseball. Now, you can use a baseball, but for the most part, we use the foam balls. Why? Because when you hit a baseball, that ball really comes off the bat. When you can swing through that foam ball and still keep yourself balanced, you don't have the uh, the restriction of the heaviness of a baseball that's going to kind of help balance you out. If you can balance yourself hitting in the soft toss drill, then you'll definitely stay balanced hitting a baseball. Okay, so you're again you're zooming in on that. You know, making perfect contact with the ball, trying to trying to connect center mass. And what's so cool is like. It, you can make adjustments in that soft toss drill when you get into the game and you're more balanced and you're prepared, then you can really, really zero in. You're zooming in focus just like they were at the top of the stem on hitting that baseball a certain way. You get to the point where it's so zoomed in and so tightly focused that if you're popping balls up, right, if you're hitting fly balls and you're not making real good contact, you're so zeroed in that you now can tell yourself, and you can do this in the soft toss drills and in a real game, if I ever get to the point where my last three at-bats, I pop balls up, I'm like, okay, I'm off a little bit. I might be dipping my shoulder. We're midseason. I can't focus on that. What I'm going to really key in on is I'm going to hit the top half of the ball. I'm going to hit the top half of the ball. And soft toss drills before the next game, what did I do? You got in the cage. You got with your net, your personal, you know, your, uh, your teammate that's helping you with soft toss, and you're trying to hit the top half of the ball. What ends up happening? If you try to swing through the top half of the ball because you were popping it up, now you're dead center and vice versa. If you're hitting a lot of ground balls, a lot of balls into the ground, like just beating them into the turf, you know, chipping the turf up, you know, as if you were on a golf course, right? A really bad golfer. 
okay, if you're beating it into the ground, try to hit the bottom half of the ball, and you'll probably connect center mass. That's why baseball is such a difficult sport. That's why, literally, to get into the Hall of Fame of baseball, you only have to succeed 30% of the time. That's insane. Like that's And that's why is because it's such fine-tuning. I wanted to draw that parallel because, again, I always tie baseball back to things because that's what I played the majority of my life from the age of five up until you know I decided not to play college ball. It's the same aspect to anything you try to do in sports. I'm sure at tennis it applies. I'm sure basketball it applies. If you're hitting the back of the rim, try to hit the front of the rim. Swoosh, right? I hate basketball, but that's a story for another day. But I, I just think that it's so cool – when you can kind of dig in and understand the little details. So when you're watching a game on Sunday and it's, oh, why didn't they run the ball? Focus on other things. If you see Jordan Love struggling with his accuracy, watch that front foot. Watch his base. See if he's throwing balance. See if, if he's off balance. I guarantee he's landing on that toe, right? Or when he throws a freaking dot to Christian Watson, right? And we're going to come up off the couch. On the replay, if they won't zoom in on people's faces and actually show you what's going on, look at the front foot. See if it landed flat. Like, that's the little things that I really geek out on. And that's what I want Packers Total Access to be about are the little things that other people aren't talking about. Rather than arguing and talking in circles, I really want to, you know, let's key in on some of these details that, that are going to pop up if you've got ears open to uh, to listen to it. So another thing he mentioned that I thought was really, really exciting is Christian Watson, Aaron Jones. You know, Aaron Jones has already been out there, but Christian Watson's planning on coming out to California. They're going to work on their timing. So you'll probably see videos here real soon of Christian Watson out there working at the top of the stem, right? Working, working on that break point. And that's exciting. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Aaron Jones, all these guys getting the timing with Jordan Love is going to set the stage for the opportunity, the opportunity to have a great season. And I, I'm really, really, really excited about seeing that. So um, with that being said, let's take us a quick break. When we get on the other side, we've got a listener from uh, from Twitter who's got a question about tiers of importance when it comes to positions. And then we're going to talk about why they're important. We'll get you guys out of here. But again, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right, so let's do this. Let's talk about um, what Andy asked me on Twitter. Let me go ahead and pull up the tweet here before I forget. Andy on Twitter sent me a message, and he said, hey, another one for the pod maybe. You mentioned your position tiers before and even the idea of tight end becoming a tier two position. Could you go through what positions fall into which tiers and why? would be interesting to hear your thinking and how it, it might have evolved over the years. And it's funny that you mentioned evolved, Andy, because it definitely has. As the game changes, right, and we get into these different types of offenses and even defenses – those those positions, tiers of importance, you've got to be willing to change with the times. And Andy's one of the point, guys that, that pointed out, you know, some of the stuff that I've said in the past, like if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less, right? Um, it, it's, it's so important to adapt as you go through. You know, one coach that I feel like is really, really keyed in on it is uh, is Sean McVay. Sean McVay is a, is a coach that's willing to adapt and adjust as he goes, right? And he – you know, I remember him complimenting Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl that year. He was when they, you know, they, they had the handshake at the 50 yard line before the game. It's like, man, your ability to completely change and adapt with what your roster suggests, uh, you know, in conjunction with your opponent that week is just phenomenal. And, and of course, Bill Belichick and the way he does just brushed it off. He don't want to take any compliments. He don't want to ever try to toot his own horn, which is what I absolutely adore about the guy. I just think he's the goat of coaching. Um, you've got to be willing to adjust on the fly, and you got to be willing to adapt as you go but there's some things that they they have they still haven't changed much and when it comes to tier you know position tiers and tiers of importance in my opinion it's all about what's causing success in the league right now you know who was the darling you know several years ago let's say you know the new england patriots their their last super bowl run was the option routes right it was their their offense was basically designed to have you know just a huge amount of chemistry between Tom Brady and Julian Edelman and, and Rob Gronkowski to the point where if a defense does one thing they're going to adjust and do another it's all about timing it's all about rhythm it's all about accuracy it's all about execution it's all about the the players being on the same page together right when you have that type of offense even go back to 2010 with with the Packers winning you know what was the offense that was dominant it was the spread offense. What are the two top aspects of that? Quarterback and left tackle, right? To this day, I still feel like quarterback and left tackle is tier one. So I'm going to try to be organized here, okay? I'm going to be as organized as possible, and I'm going to give you recent success to show you why I think that's important, okay? Tier one, these are the positions that are top priority when it comes to NFL football. Offense, quarterback, and left tackle, okay? Now, why is it important? Why is quarterback and left tackle important? 
the number one stat, in my opinion, for a team to win, and and this isn't something I came up with. This isn't something that's been recently uncovered. Bill Parcells was talking about this in the 80s, guys. This is that's the beautiful thing about football. As much stuff changes, the fundamentals are what's most important because if you focus on the key aspects of the game, that's going to give you the best chance to win in the in the National Football League. And I think his number, I'll probably screw it up. It was something like if you if you win the turnover differential by one, you've got something like a it's like an 80% chance to win. If you win the turnover differential by two, your percentage, your chance of winning that game goes up to like over 90%. So the name of the game is turnover differential, protecting the football, right? And again, now we've talked about the middle eight, but let's talk about turnover differential. The reason it's important is because you're if you give a team a short field that converts to points, you can have a 10-point or even a 14-point swing in a blink of an eye in a game. The momentum completely shifts, and it's a whole different ballgame. Now, we've seen great comebacks, but they're they're the exception, not the rule, right? So the name of the game is turnover differential, protecting the football, being efficient, and giving yourself every single opportunity to win possible. When you talk about quarterback and left tackle, it stems from turnover differential. Why? Pressures. Pressures equal picks, right? That's the way it is. Pressure pick, coverage sack. You've heard that talked about so many times. Pressure pick, you pressure the quarterback. Most of the time, if you can get in his face, it's going to lead to a pick because a pocket passer is not going to be able to move around. Now, when Aaron Rodgers was pressured back in his prime, he made guys miss, made things happen on the fly, and caught the second window of those routes or the scramble drill where receivers would break off, right? That's an elite quarterback, elite arm talent, elite mobility, and that's what Aaron Rodgers brought to the table for so many years. Right. So pressures equal picks, coverage equals sacks. What's that mean? Coverage, when you've got lockdown coverage, right? Then a quarterback's got to sit in the pocket and go through read one, two, three's not there. Now he gets antsy. The way that you beat Aaron Rodgers early in his career was you just bring a four man rush, right? And then you just played coverage and he would get frustrated because if they blitzed him, I think the year they won the Super Bowl, I want to say that. It was like third down conversion against the Blitz. Aaron Rodgers led the league, and it wasn't even close. It was something like, I mean, in the high 60s that he converted against third down pressure, right? Because he was really good at identifying it. Post-snap reading was something that Aaron has done his entire career really, really well and being able to find the open guy quickly against the Blitz. And then when they would play coverage, he would try to scramble long enough to allow, you know, receivers to get open. But, again – the top priority with your quarterback and why quarterback and left tackle is a top tier positions, in my opinion, Andy, is smart, accurate, and upright. Those are the key aspects to a solid offensive game plan. Okay. You've got to have a quarterback that's smart and going to protect the football. He's got to be accurate delivering the ball, and he has got to darn sure be upright. Like you've seen it, Matt Stafford in Detroit, guys, he got beat to death and never won anything. When he went to the Rams, I was the guy going, they're going to find out. There's no excuses for Matt Stafford now. Watch what happens to him out there. If he don't win out there, now they can shut up about him being an elite quarterback. It's just he's been on a crappy team. He goes out there and wins a freaking Super Bowl. <laughs> Here I am with egg on my face going, all right, Matt Stafford was good. I was wrong. Now, of course, the injury last year changed everything for the for the Rams team. Um, but we're going to kind of talk about them here in a second as we get ready to wrap up. But, again, smart, accurate, and upright. That's why it's so important. That's that's what leads to good turnover differential. 
having a smart quarterback that protects the football, he, he accurately delivers the pass, and an offensive line that keeps him upright. Why is left tackle one of the elite positions? I think you pretty much know why quarterback is, because left tackle is going to protect the blind side unless it's a lefty like two. In that case, it should be the right tackle. Your, your blind side has to be protected. Also, when the blind side is protected, you know he's locking in that, that opposite edge. If you've got someone like David Bakhtiari, when healthy, can protect – the, the backside of that right-handed quarterback that also allows you to fan. It allows you to spread. It allows you to, uh, what's the term I'm using, slide protection to the right. So if you've got a weakness on the right side, you can let those other four linemen help each other out and double-team the problem point on the right side because you know that anchor at left tackle is going to hold down the backside for you, right? That's why it's a leak position. Now, when you go to the defensive side of the ball, it's very, very similar, right? Again, the name of the game is what? Turnover differential. Turnover differential while transitioning. I'm going to explain what that means. Playing the run to the pass, okay? And a lot of people don't think about this. They don't talk about it. Um, I'm going to draw another baseball parallel for you, but you're talking about the defense being able to rush the quarterback, but along the way playing the run. You know, you've got some defenders. It's the reason that some defenders play the run really, really good, right? They play the run really, really well because they're just keyed in on the run. They're a big body. They're occupying two gaps, and they're just keying in on the run, right? But the great defenders, what do they do? They play the run while applying pressure. They don't get out of their gap integrity. They still maintain their responsibility within the running game. And then as it shifts to pass, whether it's a play action or the drop, and they try to set it up to, to, to try to sugar the defensive line into thinking it was a run and then it ends up being a pass, they can transition very, very quickly, very, very smoothly into rushing the quarterback, right? That's a – Key aspect to winning turnover differential on defense. Why? Pressure pick, coverage sack. That's why. You know, when you talk about that transitioning, here's another baseball term. I don't know I'm boring y'all with baseball, but it's what it's what I relate with because that's the sport I played. It's think fastball and adjust. For a player to be able to transition from covering from defending the run into maximum pressure on the quarterback in the passing game. It's very similar to think fastball and adjust. What you're taught in baseball is think fastball and adjust when you get in the box. Now, sometimes you sit on pitches. You get a lot of that in the pros today because that's just how they're taught. The numbers, you know, uh, analytics suggest, hey, sit on one pitch until you get in a spot where you have to play defense while hitting, basically. But what we were taught is think fastball and adjust. When you step into that box, you're thinking it's a fastball. And in high school, it can be anywhere from 80 mile an hour to 90. I think 92 was the fastest I faced in high school. It was a, a kid down around Barberville, and he was a lefty. He was a freaking menace to face. But you always look forward to those challenges. Um, when I say Barberville, it was Barberville, Kentucky. But you get in, right? You get in the box. You're thinking fastball adjusts. When they deliver when they deliver the ball, you're, you're anticipating this is a heater, right? He's about to hum that tater. He's going to shoot that pill. And you got to be ready to be quick with the hands, stay you know structurally sound, front foot landing flat. See the parallel? Even with pitching, it goes the same with hitting. You don't you don't want to be off balance when you're hitting. So the ball's coming in, you're thinking fastball. When you pick up that release box, I'm not going to get into all the details of baseball because this is a football podcast. You're looking at hand placement. You've got a you've got, I think it's I think they said it's three tenths of a second to make three decisions. Where is the ball? How fast is it? And am I going to swing? Right. And you've got three tenths of a second to make that decision. So you see the release window you're picking up. Is it a fastball grip? Is it a curveball grip? Is it a slider grip? Is it a change grip? Your, your mind has to be able to process that. But when you're thinking fastball and adjust, 
your hands are you're you're ready to strike on that. Now think fast, want adjust split second. You read curve. It's going to be off speed. Keep your hands back. You're adjusting, but you're prepared for the fastball. That's what it's talking about. Okay. So that parallel goes hand in freaking hand with this transitioning of playing the run to the pass, right? Why do I say all that, Andy, to get to this point right now, the top positions on defense is edge defender and defensive line. When I say defensive line, I mean interior defensive line, defensive tackle, whether you're playing a one technique or you're playing shade, whatever it may be, it's the guy closest to the freaking football every single snap on defense. I mean, it that's just common sense in my opinion. Now, I've had it as a tier two in past years. This year, it's jumped up to tier one. So now we have two positions in the top tier of positions. In my opinion, it's edge and defensive line. Why edge? Because <clears throat> just like that left tackle that can neutralize that backside threat to get into the quarterback and allow the other four linemen to be able to uh, slide their protection and help each other and double-team someone who's a menace on the opposite side, an edge defender can occupy that double-team. They're the ones forcing the hand of the offense, right? Rashawn Gary for the Packers, when healthy. Last year, really, I, I thought he was going to completely blow up last year, and, of course, the injury happened. It is what it is. Let's pray that he comes back as healthy as ever. But he's rushing off that left side from the defense's perspective over the right tackle, right? You know what teams have to do? When he starts to wreck that pocket and starts to get into the backfield, teams now have to slide that protection towards him. Now you're putting the left left tackle on an island on the back side of the quarterback. And when you do that and you don't have a David Bakhtiari over there, your game plan's wrecked. It's absolutely wrecked. Because now the quarterback's getting antsy, and he's he's constantly having a peek over his shoulder. Is he holding up over there? Aaron Rodgers never had to worry about David Bakhtiari covering his backside. And if David Bakhtiari is 100% healthy this year, like I, I believe he is now that the surgeries are behind us, Jordan Love is going to have one of the best left tackles to cover his backside, right? But again, on the defensive side of the ball, that edge defender is a top priority. It's a top-tier position for that very reason. Defensive line or defensive tackle, same exact thing. Why? Because they play such a huge role in not only protecting against the run, right, defending the run, but still providing pressure. Your great quarterbacks like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, uh, people like that that didn't have great scrambling ability, you want to disrupt them, you push that. You push the center and the guard right back into their lap as they're trying to play pocket. Now, Brady was great at sidestepping. He had great pocket awareness, great pocket agility. But he, I'm telling you right now, he couldn't, he couldn't outrun a, a you know, a pregnant cow to the barn. There ain't no way. He was slower than molasses, as 40 times suggested it. You see, he made fun of himself, post some videos on Instagram. But he had that that uh unique ability to be able to navigate the pocket. But again, you want to disrupt him throw the timing off of the play, especially when it's option routes, choice routes, where these receivers know if I see this, I'm going to be there and the ball's got to come out on time. You get somebody like an Aaron Donald to push that pocket back in their face. That's what the Packers are lacking right now. Yeah, I know everybody loves Kenny Clark, and I do too. You're not going to find a nicer guy. But what I see on tape, and PFF definitely lines up with it completely, is he's underperforming. When you don't have that dominant defensive tackle in the middle, and let's hope Devontae Wyatt, can help with that, right? Um, that's going to hurt you. And I think that's what hurt the Packers' defense last year. That, in combination with Rashawn Gary, missing as much time as he did because, again, edge the edge position and the defensive tackle. It all 
it all begins and ends within the trenches. And I know some of y'all get tired of hearing that because it's so flashy watching the receivers and this and that and the great, but it's so important. The trenches are so freaking important, especially on defense. So, Andy, tier one of positions on offense, quarterback, left tackle. On defense, edge defender, and defensive tackle. If you look at the way the pay is structured on the Packers, Rashawn Gary, if he's healthy, is going to get probably the largest contract on the Packers roster when they extend him if they do. Right? Who's the other one? Kenny Clark. Go to the offensive side of the ball. Who are the highest paid players? Who are the highest cap hits? Right now, Aaron Rodgers, right, and has been, rightfully so, and left tackle David Bakhtiari. You know, success leaves clues. You can also follow the money. You can follow the money in anything in life. I'm just telling you right now. You want to get to the root of, of what, when, and why someone is doing something? Follow the money. It may be somebody giving money. Man, that guy's got a good heart. Follow his money. You know, the old saying I've heard here recently is if you want to tell me, if you want to, you want to show me what's important to you, let me see your checkbook and your calendar. What are you spending money on? What are you spending time doing? That'll tell me what's most important in your life. So if you ever want to kind of self-evaluate, I've had to do it many times. I try to do it on a daily basis. I grade myself every day when I get home from business and work and everything is like, how, how did I do in this aspect? How did I do with people? How did I do this? Grade yourself and try to get a little bit better the next day. But that's one one aspect of your personal life that you can really key in on is where you're spending your time and where you're spending your money. And that'll really tell you what's most important in your life. Therefore, probably show you why you why you have what you have or in other in other cases don't have what you want. You know, um, but if you look at where the money goes on pretty much rosters across the league with good teams and, and you know, even the Green Bay Packers quarterback and left tackle on offense edge and defensive line is where it's going to be so or defensive tackle now tier two is in my opinion not not as important but more important than every other position outside of that tier one on offense is center wide receiver tight end and i just added tight end to tier two actually and then uh, on defense it's middle linebacker and free safety on offense why is it center wide receiver tight end success leaves clues Right. If you don't have any receiving threats whatsoever, if you don't have a Devontae Adams, imagine what our offense, how better offense would have been without Devontae Adams. Now you can sit here and say, oh, they would have had another receiver in there. Rightfully so. That that could be the case. Let's pretend they didn't. Let's pretend that you have just the, the normal receiving crew that we had minus Devontae Adams. You've seen it last year, actually. How did it work out? Didn't work out very well. Quarterback had a broken thumb, too. I get it. Some of you Rodgers guys go, Clayton, don't forget the thumb. I, I'll always mention it. The offensive line was banged up, but the receiving core was so young. Christian Watson has showed flashes that he can be a superstar. I hope that turns out to be the case. But, again, last year, you look at the PFF grades, you look at we led the league in drops, drop passes from the receiving core. Tight end game didn't step up. That's how you get in that position. Center, in my opinion, is just like nose tackle. You know, nose tackle is closest to the ball every single snap on defense than any other position on the field. Center touches the ball every single play. The center touches the ball as much as the quarterback does every single play. Guys, that's important. You don't believe me. Watch a center go down and get hurt. I think it happened to Chicago last year against Green Bay, if I remember, maybe the year before. If a center gets hurt, look at just how the exchange gets botched. Look at the snap. Not to mention setting the protection. 
which in this case will probably be happening now that Aaron Rodgers is gone, there's going to be more put on Josh Myers' plate at center to be able to call out the protection, being able to ID the mic. You know, in the past, it was just Aaron kind of ID in the mic. When Aaron was young, what did you see? You seen Scott Wells ID in the mic, didn't you? Now, Aaron started to take it over, and he kind of set everything up for everybody. You can't expect Jordan Love to do that his first year. He may come out and do it, and I'm going to be going crazy if he does. But you're probably going to lean on Josh Myers. If you're having to lean on Josh Myers to set the protection and get you in the right looks, you're starting to get nervous now, aren't you? 12 isn't back there doing that anymore. So let's hope Jordan Love and Josh Myers can do that together. But, again, center is a Tier 2 position. Wide receiver, for all the reasons I just told you, not having a number one tied in. I'm going to wrap up telling you why tied in is important. Now, on defense, middle linebacker, free safety, guys, the goal, in my opinion, is to make the center of the field the strongest aspect of your defense, right? So defensive tackle is a Tier 1 position, in my opinion. Edge, obviously, to be able to get pressure on the quarterback constantly, but that nose tackle is right in the center of the defense. He's going to play the run to the pass, transitioning, using all the little aspects that I explained with the baseball analogy. Middle linebacker right in the middle of the field. You got Devondre Campbell. You're strong there when he's healthy. You're real strong. You drafted Quay Walker with all the athleticism in the world. Let's hope he molds into an even better linebacker this year. He was a tackling machine last year. He tackled violently. He made mental mistakes at times. He can cover good. There's a lot of stuff to work with there. We need to see that year two jump for sure. And then free safety, your last line of defense, center field on your defense. You had Nick Collins in 2010. You started off with, with Savage and Amos last year. It was an absolute disaster. Rudy Ford slides into that role more times than not. I've seen him playing deep rather than in the box, which means any kind of rotation they were allowing Rudy to play deep. He did good. He played good. We got him back this year. Let's see if he can take a step forward. But in my opinion, tier two on defense, Andy, is middle linebacker free safety. So that's how I wanted to answer the question for you, okay? That's how we kind of got to that point where it's quarterback, left tackle on offense, edge defensive tackle, um, or nose tackle on defense. And then tier two is center, wide receiver, tight end. And then on defense, you got middle linebacker free safety. That's how I see it. And if you look at how the money's spent on the Packers, all of that lines up except for two things that stand out on offense. What are they? Wide receiver and tight end. Maybe that's what's missing, you know? Maybe it is. Now, some of you are going, well, we had Devontae Adams, and, yeah, they put up great numbers, but it didn't get us over the hump. Why did we not get over the hump? I know why. You might not want to accept it, but I know why. Nobody mentions that that block punt for a touchdown, right? Nobody mentions all the special teams gaffes, right? It is what it is. Could the offense have scored more points? Absolutely they could. Did Aaron Rodgers make some mistakes? Absolutely he did. He tried to force-feed Devontae at times. But we conveniently leave out that block punt for a touchdown against San Francisco and that beautiful snowstorm at Lambeau Field that was setting up for a magical ending to the season. We forget about that. Um, now, that's the two things that stand out to me. That's what we should really key in on this offseason. Now, I know we're strapped for cash. For whatever reason, we chose to go this route with the Aaron Rodgers situation. And I still got people that disagree. And I'm like, I don't understand how you can say Goody played this perfect. We're absorbing a huge cap hit because we decided to go the trade route rather than either trade him two years ago or, hey, look, let's stick with him. Um, people were, oh, it wasn't their decision. We could lay out the timeline, but, again, I don't want this pod to be us arguing in circles. It is what it is. Jordan loves quarterback. Let's move forward and try to figure out how we can patch this together 
and put together a winning team because if Jordan Love's a great quarterback, it's possible. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, middle linebacker and free safety, how are we looking at on defense there, right? Edge, you got Rashawn Gary. Unfortunately, he's going to be hurt the first half of the year. Defensive line, you got Kenny Clark. He's underperforming, okay? Middle linebacker, you got Devondre Campbell. He's been strong, missed a little bit of time, but he has been really, really good. And then free safety, it took halfway through the season before you moved Rudy Ford over there and you started getting decent production. So of the four on the top two tiers of importance on defense, you've only got really one right now in Devondre Campbell because Rashawn Gary won't be ready until um, halfway through the season. So you've got three holes there on defense. But I know, I know, it's Joe Barry's fault because we're not playing man coverage. Guys, it's deeper than that. You can't look at the tape and then look at PFF, and they both say the same thing, and then put your head in the sand and go, ah, this is Joe Barry's fault. That's why I don't subscribe to this team is loaded with talent. You're only as good <clears throat> as the product you put on the field. And this is where they argue that what's well, the coach's job to get them ready. Guys, I don't care what the RAS is. If you're not playing good football, you're not playing good football. If somebody's jumping an underneath route and getting beat when they're supposed to be covering third deep, that's their top priority. Guys, that has nothing to do with the coaching staff. The coaches didn't say, hey, jump any route you want. They want to forget your assignment on this play. Just play freehand. That's why me and Coach Han talked about Jair got caught playing hero ball. We pointed out when Aaron does it. We got to point it out when other people do too because they're both not getting your team in a position to win. Um, so we talked about turnover differential and everything. Quarterback, smart and accurate. Right, just quick cliff notes. We're gonna get you guys out of here. Left tackle, that's your blind side allowing you to slide protection away from um away from isolation. Right. You're able to, okay, if you've got a strong pass rusher on the opposite side, let's slide a protection in that in that in that direction because we know this left tackle is the best at what he does and he can hold up on that backside and the quarterback don't even have to glance over there. That's a huge, huge asset. Edge, you're you're winning one-on-one slash forcing double teams. That's what your edge defender does and why it's a tier one position, Andy. Defensive line, run gap integrity to the quarterback. You are playing the run to the pass from that nose tackle position. Now, some of you are going, yeah, that's all fine and good. It sounds good, but what, what evidence do you have of that? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the Super Bowl last year. What made the Kansas City Chiefs so good? Let's look at it. Tier one on offense, what are our positions, guys? Quarterback and left tackle. Patrick Mahomes graded out at a 92.0 on PFF. He was the highest graded player on the entire Chiefs roster, okay? Now, who was the number two graded player? Travis Kelsey at tight end. You see why tight end looks so important? Some of you are going, this is just one team, Clayton. I got Hang with me here a second. Hang with me. Tackle, right? Orlando Brown, the seventh highest graded player on their roster, 75.4. Creed Humphrey at center. Boy, that one hurts bad. I don't even want to talk about it. 89.9 PFF grade. Wide receiver. Kadarius Toney came in later in the year, right? 138 total snaps, what it says. 82.1 grade at wide receiver there for them. And then you got Juju Smith-Schuster was a 70.1. Not great, but... It is what it is. So what you essentially have here is your tackle and your quarterback. Your quarterback, 92.0. Your tackle, Orlando Brown, 75.3. Both. One is an elite grade and the other is a great grade. Right? Travis Kelsey in that Tier 2 position is a 91.3. 
And then also in tier two is your center position, Creed Humphrey, 89.1. Success leaves clues. You're going, that's one team. Yep. Let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles, the NFC team that played the Kansas City Chiefs. The number one graded player on their team, 89.4, was their center, Jason Kelsey. Guess who their number two was? Jalen Hurts, quarterback, 88.2. Guess who number three was? A.J. Brown, wide receiver, 87.7. And then number four, Lane Johnson, 84.8. That's your left tackle. So your elite positions, quarterback was your second highest graded player at 88.2. Left tackle was Lane Johnson, your fourth highest graded player at 84.8. Pretty impressive, right? So look at the tight end as well. Dallas Goddard, 78.2. You want to know why tight end has now jumped up into tier two for me? This is it. Heck, they even had Devontae Smith. Devonta Smith graded out at wide receiver at 80.4. So you had two wide receivers that graded at over 80 in PFF, an 87.7 and an 80.4. Your tackle was an 84.8. Your quarterback was an 88.2. Success leaves clues, okay? Now, let's do this. Let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball. What are our tiers of importance? Edge and defensive line. Kansas City's, uh, I think we would all agree, Kansas City's defense, right? Their defense is the weak point of this team. It's There's no... There's no qualms about it. Nobody's going to suggest as if they're they're trying to build a strong defense and, and neglecting offense, right? The defense is the weaker of the two, if we had to choose. But look where they're strong at. Defensive line, Chris Jones, 92.3. That's a tier one position. What's crazy is Chris Jones and me and Coach Hom, we actually talked about this during the Super Bowl or during the playoff run is how they were utilizing Chris Jones. When they were on running downs, he was playing nose tackle. Right? He was playing the one or he's playing shade in the middle. And then when they would get to a passing situation, they would kick him out to edge and he'd play a five or a six tech. Right, He'd be outside rushing as if he was Rashawn Gary. The guy was versatile. It reminded me of how they used Reggie White in Green Bay. Remember they would play him inside and you get into passing downs, they'd throw him out on the edge. He'd use that hump move and just put a tackle, a grown man on his butt and smack uh, Drew Bledsoe in the mouth in the Super Bowl. Right, Like Chris Jones, again, the top two defensive positions, edge and defensive tackle. Chris Jones played both of them. He graded out as a 92.3. You want to know why they won a Super Bowl? There you go. Um, what do we talk about, too, on tier two, middle linebacker? Nick Bolton's their fourth highest uh, graded player on defense, 77.3. Guys, that is, a, that is a really, really good performance at middle linebacker position there in Kansas City. Okay, And then you've got safety, Juan Thornhill, 72.7. So you've got Chris Jones that doubled up as both a nose tackle and an edge at times, right? So there are your two elite positions. Imagine if Rashawn Gary could play a one-tech inside. A one-technique, let me, let me explain that. Imagine zero technique is right over the center, and then you go to each gap, that's a one-tech in the A gap. If a, if, a def if a defensive lineman's playing in between the guard and the center, that's a one-technique on either side. And then you jump – Straight over the guard is a two technique. The even numbers are over top of the offensive lineman. Then a three technique is in between the guard and the tackle. A four technique is directly over the guard. And then the five technique is obviously outside shoulder of the offensive tackles on both sides. And then you can go to wide nine where you're outside of even the tight end. But when you look at that across the board, these positions, these tiers of importance, both Super Bowl teams were good at those positions. Let's move on to Philadelphia's defense. 
Number one defender, 89.8, Brandon Graham, edge defender. Number two, Hashan Reddick, edge defender, 84.6. Number three, Josh Sweat, 83.8. Guys, they have three edge defenders that graded out one elite and the other borderline elite. They had three edge rushers, and we only had one that got hurt halfway through the season. You want to know why we're not in the Super Bowl? That's why edge defender is such a key component. Now, look at Green Bay's year they won in 2010. Who was our edge defender? Clay Matthews. You can name it right off the top of your head, right? Now, let's move on to the next player. The fourth highest graded player on their defense, T.J. Edwards, linebacker, had 1,183 snaps, 81.6 PFF grade. That is a Tier 2 position. And then at number five, Jason Hargrave, 80.1 on the defensive line. Success leaves close. That's why defensive line and edge are top-tier positions. The two teams that played in the Super Bowl this year had – outstanding play from those tier one positions. That's why they get paid the big bucks. That's why you want to key in on those, Andy, and not only make sure you've got starters playing those, but you're investing future draft picks. You're investing uh, uh, all this stuff into the future, into those positions. That's why you drafted Jordan Love in the first round, and it's why I agreed with the pick at the time. Some of y'all are going, but you love Aaron Rodgers. Guys, loving a player has nothing to do with what's best for the team. The thing I disagree with is why the heck did you give him that contract <laughs> if you were going to move on one year later and absorb a huge cap hit? But again, you know, like uh, like Roland and I, we were chatting uh, offline, one of the listeners, and and he was talking about hindsight's twenty twenty. I think Goot realized this year that Jordan Love is the guy, and it's time to move on from Aaron. Let's eat the cap hit now and move on. I respect that opinion. I do. I really, really do. But again, success leaves clues. Now, some of you guys are going, well, that's just one year. Let's go to the L.A. Rams, and then we're going to get you guys out of there. Last year, the L.A. Rams won the Super Bowl. It drove me nuts how many people were saying they wasn't even the best team. Guys, they're holding up the freaking trophy. I don't know what fantasy world you're living in, but when a team wins the Super Bowl, they were the best team. Or else, what the hell are you even playing for, right? Well, they no, they just got lucky at the right time. Okay, I guess you could say that about everything. You could say that about World War II. I guess we got lucky there, too, right? Save the freaking world from a Nazi domination. <laughs> Because we got lucky a time or two. Like, it, it's just, it blows my mind how people try to change the opinion to fit their narrative because they don't want to look wrong on past subjects. Like, I'm wrong all the time. I've said it before. I'm married. I'm wrong all the time. I get told that consistently. But you got to be willing to accept where you were wrong and get better and understand at a different level that, hey, look, here's, here's how things are adjusting. So let's go to the L.A. Rams. It's amazing how many people said they sucked. They got lucky. They got hot at the right time. Let's look at their 2021 PFF grades, okay? And, again, quarterback and left tackle, that's our top two tiers right on offense. Their second highest graded player on offense, 87.2 elite grade, Andre Whitworth, or I'm sorry, Andrew Whitworth at left tackle. Guess who their number three highest graded player was? The one that made me eat crow. Quarterback Matthew Stafford, 86.1. Their number one graded player was Cooper Cup at wide receiver at a 93.0. Oh, by the way, Rob Havenstein, 83.4. He was their opposite tackle, right? Success leaves clues. Quarterback and left tackle, two top-tier positions. 
That's why the Rams had the offense to win the Super Bowl. But I know they sucked. Let's go to defense. Their number one graded defender, 93.5, Aaron Donald, nose tackle. That's a tier tier one position on defense for us. Number two on their defense, 91.0 PFF grade, edge defender Von Miller. So literally two of their top three highest graded players, graded one graded above 90, the other grade graded in the mid-80s, was edge defender and defensive lineman. I'm sorry, no. They both graded out over 90. But I know they sucked. They sucked. The Packers was a better team, and they should have won the Super Bowl, and they just the Rams got lucky at the right time. BS. They had a stout roster. What happened this year? Your quarterback goes down, gets hurt, so you don't have that 80-plus PFF graded quarterback, right? Andrew Whitworth retired. You no longer have that left tackle grading out there. And then on defense, Von Miller left. So you're just left with Aaron Donald. One or two key pieces to the puzzle, man, makes a huge difference. Huge, huge difference. So, isn't that amazing? And let's let's even go a step further. Let's go into tier two, middle linebacker and free safety, right? Middle linebacker, their fourth highest graded player was, he didn't get many snaps, was Travin, uh, Travin Howard at 82.6, right? But you can see, like, there's a young player up and coming that's grading out really, really high. They're focusing on it. There's another edge defender at 79.5, one of those kind of swing guys to come in. Then you had a Sean Robinson defensive lineman at a 77.7. You don't get these kind of grades on the Packers roster. And then at safety, you had Jordan Fuller at 74.3. What was our safety grades last year? You remember? I think Amos was in the 50s most of the year. Like, it's it's a crazy. It's insane. Like, we've got some holes to fill, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just – this is why these positions are important. And that drove me absolutely insane that people were literally saying the Rams sucked. Okay. I guess they got lucky and hoisted the trophy, and PFF just got the grade wrong, too, and made them look better than they were. No, that's not true, man. So, Andy, I hope that answered your question. It's a very long-winded answer. But, again, we want to make sure that things are explained in great detail when we go through this stuff. And it's important not only to say what we mean or say say how we feel, but explain what we mean in those feelings, right, and, and exactly how we come to the conclusion that a Tier 1 position on offense is quarterback and left tackle, Tier one position on defense is edge defender and interior defensive lineman. So hopefully that made sense, man. Hope you enjoyed it. Really, really appreciate the message on Twitter, man. And if there's anything you disagree with, man, hit me up in a text, 865-658-5824. Not just Andy, anybody out there. If you go, hey, man, I got a question about this. Or, hey, have you ever thought of that? I'm telling you, every time you guys message me, it makes me dig in a little deeper. And I didn't know the Rams graded out that well. I believe they were a good team. I was just rolling my eyes as these Packer fans were screaming that the Rams sucked and they just got lucky. But when I go back and look at it, it's like, man, they were loaded. They played really, really good football in 2021. Then they lose their quarterback, their left tackle. They lose their starting, their their top edge defender. No wonder they didn't, they couldn't even sniff the playoffs this year, right? So it, it all makes sense. So, Andy, thank you for the message. Y'all hit us up, 865-658-5824. Shoot me a text. Um, I'm about to go out here, guys. It's a Saturday afternoon. It's beautiful. It's supposed to be like 75 degrees, 20-mile-an-hour winds. Hopefully everybody's safe from the storms. I know it got a little bit shaky there uh, across the country uh, last night and earlier into this morning. I'm going to go out here and throw a prime rib on the on the smoker and uh, drink an ice-cold brew and, and just enjoy the day. Hope you guys have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for making us a part of it. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and go Pack Go. On the fake. 
Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career. Christian Watson, you can see him. It's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.